0: This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 25th year on the air. Yes, I said 25th. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Car sales were up significantly in April, but we have to wonder how long it will last. We'll tell you why. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based in Maine. What a beautiful uh, time of year, I think, to be in Maine. At least I guess it would be a beautiful time to be in Maine. Uh, Tell us about it, Chris. What do you think? Uh,
1: April showers bring May flowers, right? I guess uh, quite a bit of rain here, but uh, very nice nonetheless. How are things on your side of the world?
0: Uh, We would love to have some of that rain here in Southern California. I don't think it has rained substantively uh, in months now, and it's getting rather dry, so that's concerning to people. Uh, We actually live on water that's rained or snowed elsewhere in the state, and it comes to us via viaduct and other things, so... We have that going for us, but uh, that's what's going on in Southern California. Of course, we're doing America on the Road cross-country, as we typically do. This week, our special guest is Dan Fry. He is the engineer on the all-new Jeep Wrangler 4xe. I recently got the chance to attend an event outside Austin, Texas, and it showed off the capabilities of the plug-in hybrid Jeep. I mean, how how do you like the sound of that, Chris? Plug-in hybrid Jeep.
1: Well, I guess it was uh, bound to happen sometime, so I'm excited to hear your thoughts.
0: Yeah, it was a fascinating experience. I had a chance to sit down with Dan Fry to discuss the new vehicle in detail, so I think you'll enjoy that. In the road test segment, Chris, tell us what you will be uh, talking about this week. The
1: 2021 Genesis GV80.
0: Yeah, that cool SUV that Genesis fans have been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for, and it's now here. Actually, it's got a little bit of uh, notoriety, uh, among other things. I had a chance to take a 400-mile round trip in the 2021 Mazda MX-5 Miata, and uh, fascinating stuff. Picked up my daughter at college and trucked her back home in the Miata, so we'll talk a bit about that. Uh, It's an interesting test for a vehicle like the Miata to do that kind of thing, Uh, so We'll chat about that, but before we do any of that, we're going to talk a bit about what's going on in the news, and of course, uh, the end of April brought uh, good sales news to a lot of people. Of course, a lot of manufacturers don't report monthly sales numbers anymore, but some do, and we got the sense that uh, sales were up pretty strong uh, in April. Honda's sales were up more than 40%. Uh, Hyundai's sales, uh, more than 48% so far for the year, so that's good. Uh, Kia was up 35%, which is a great number. Maybe it pales a little bit in comparison with Hyundai, but otherwise. Toyota was up uh, more than 45%. And Mazda was up more than 45%. Uh, I'll give you a little taste of details on Mazda. Compared to April of last year, which was a disastrous month, one of the most disastrous months in the history of cardom, certainly over the course of the last 30 or 40 years, uh, sales are up 184.4%. So that shows you uh, both how good this April was and actually how dismal the past April was. Uh, Volvo was also up. so really the, the, all the car companies that were reporting were up. That's what's going on, pretty strong sales here. The reason we're concerned about it, of course, is the chip shortage and the fact that uh, inventories are going to be pushed. What do you think about all that, Chris?
1: Well, the, the sales is good news. The sales numbers, I should say, are, are good news uh, for for everyone, really. But you know, if if used car prices are any indicator of the number of people that are selling their vehicles, taking advantage of that market, uh, I could see why there would be some in, increased sales. You know, it's pushed us to to evaluate selling our used car and buying a new car while prices are are the way that they are. But uh, the chip shortage, you know, you, you mentioned Subaru. We talked about them last week having shut down both of their facilities, uh, hopefully, you know, the recovery plan is well underway. So that they're not going to have any vehicles to sell before too long.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, we'll see. I've got to believe that this chip shortage is going to get solved, but uh, it's not going to be solved in the, in the near term. And maybe in the long term, I think car, car companies are going to be doing something else about it. Uh, one report is that Volkswagen, for example, of course, a major auto builder globally, is going to design its own chips and probably not build those chips or make those chips, but uh, have proprietary uh, microchips uh, and semiconductors. And that kind of makes sense uh, because I think as you go forward and as we go forward into this world of autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, if indeed that's a world we're going into That kind of stuff, the uh, computerization of the cars, is going to be much more important and much more important to be proprietary to a car company than, say, the design of the engine or the uh, design of the car itself. Uh, What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, we talked a little bit about this last week, too, bringing things, bringing capability and knowledge in-house is valuable to them and having control over that sort of end-to-end uh, supply chain, idea chain, whatever you want to call it, uh, there's value there and there's also security, right? So, you know, the next time some chip shortage is coming down the pipeline, uh, Volkswagen and, and others that are doing this will have a better eye on what's what's happening.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you could control your destiny, I mean, certainly Henry Ford proved that uh, years and years and years ago, more than 100 years ago, uh, where he actually um, owned... Uh, smelting uh, of iron and uh, own steel mills and own ore carriers that, <laughs> that brought the ore to, uh, to Detroit to uh, be turned into Model T Fords. I mean, kind of controlled the whole supply chain. So uh, to the extent that car companies can do that now, of course, it's a much more complicated thing to do now than it was in uh, 1908, But uh, still, uh, that can stand you in quite good stead where others are having shortages. If you don't, you're probably in pretty good shape.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, Ford is uh, looking to develop better batteries. We talked a little bit about this uh, in last week's show where they talked about and have developed or are about to develop the Ford Ion Park where they look into batteries. But They have also made an investment, a much bigger investment, in an outside company called Solid Power. And you were talking about solid state batteries last week, Uh, Chris. So tell us a bit about solid state batteries and why you think that they're important going forward.
1: Well, I'm going to show my lack of scientific knowledge here, but I'll just say that traditional lithium-ion batteries have a liquid inside of them uh, that does a bunch of different things. But in solid state batteries, that liquid is not there. So the batteries can be smaller and lighter and more energy dense, meaning the same size battery can carry more energy to power the, the electric motors in the vehicle. So uh, for a bunch of reasons, they're ideal for electric cars because, you know, the batteries are huge weight, a huge, uh, they take up a lot of real estate underneath the vehicle. So uh, this tech promises at least to be uh, a huge step forward for the the EV industry. And so you're talking Ford's investment in solid power. Uh, I believe they entered into this uh, partnership with BMW to do that. Is that right?
0: Yes, that absolutely is right. And the BMW also would like to share the benefits of having this. And of course, uh, I think as we talked about again last week, if you have a proprietary battery or access to batteries that other manufacturers don't have, and they're a lot better wow, you're, you're in really great shape as you go forward into this uh, new world where we think we're going to have many, many more electric vehicles and a higher percentage of electric vehicle concentration than we have now. And it doesn't have to be all electric vehicles. It doesn't have to be the market is going to be all electric vehicles. But let's say the market is 10% electric vehicles. If you're a leader in that area and have proprietary uh, technology that others don't have that's so much better, you're gonna win. I mean, it's just as simple as that. I think.
1: Yeah, and even Ford and BMW, despite partnering to support this company and invest in this company, uh, they've even said they're still going to, you know, focus very heavily on their own product tracks with the company. So, yes, they're they're partnering to buy and invest in this company, but they're still very much working on their own in-house capabilities while doing that.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting uh, kind of combination, isn't it, where you combine uh, an investment, but you kind of want to keep uh, that wall between uh, your company and the other company uh, as you're working with a third company. So uh, (laughs) it's a complicated supply chain uh, these days, that's for certain. Well, when we come back, we're going to be taking a look at the Genesis GV80, a big SUV from uh, Genesis, uh, their first SUV. And I had a chance to do a, a lengthy drive in the Mazda MX-5 Miata, along with my uh, youngest daughter. So we'll talk about a bit about that all coming up in the road test segment. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Neerad with you, and you're listening to America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jackie Red with you, along with co-host Chris Teague. We are so glad he is with us, and we're so glad you're with us listening to us on America on the Road. We appreciate that. If you like the show, please pass it along to a friend or neighbor, somebody you like, who might like hearing two guys talk about cars, which is what we do every week on this show. So uh, thanks for being with us. It's road test time, one of our favorite portions of the program. And Chris you were driving a very interesting car that has got a lot of publicity lately.
1: It has gotten a lot of publicity and it got a lot of attention in my driveway uh, too. So I've been looking forward to driving this in for a while. It's the twenty twenty one Genesis gv eighty. This is uh, Genesis the uh, Hyundai's sub brand. They split off a few years ago, became their own their own deal. and th- this is their first SUV. It's brand new for a twenty twenty one model year. Um uh, has a starting price of around $50,000. My test car or test vehicle was the very top of the line 3.5T Prestige model. It's around $75,000 all in. Uh, man, what a great looking vehicle, though. Uh, we've talked about, I think I drove the Genesis G70 last year, Jack. We talked about how, how great and how smooth that vehicle looked, but this is a, a real looker. And uh, parked in my driveway, people literally walked by and took pictures uh, as they were walking down our street. So uh, very attention-grabbing, very nicely designed, um, very smooth looks. So uh, what do you think about the the looks, Jack, before we go any further? I know beauty eye is in the eye of the beholder, though.
0: Yeah, this is a vehicle that has huge presence, I think. Uh, and I think you talked about the price, too. Uh, There is the value here. I mean, certainly, I think Genesis, Hyundai through Genesis, through their luxury division is essentially trying to buy their way into the luxury market by offering incredible value. And I think that's just what the GV80 is. I mean, this is a vehicle that looks terrific, looks to be much more expensive than even it is. And even at that $75,000 price, I think if you were to look at the German competitors, they would probably be hovering around $100,000 or so, Uh, maybe not quite that high, but darn close. And so it's... uh, Quite a value and a really good-looking car. I think that's one of the really smart things that Genesis has done or the Genesis folks have done uh, within Hyundai is they recruited really great design talent, and I think their exterior and interior designs are really, really good.
1: Uh, Yeah, Jack, you know, I think you're, you're right on the nose there. They've done a great job with the styling inside and out. So, you know, inside there's quilted leather, nice woods, attractive metals, just a really nice place to spend time. Um, As I mentioned, this is the 3.5 T trim. So that's a 375 horsepower twin turbo V6 with an eight speed automatic transmission. And uh, this model had all wheel drive, although rear wheel drive is standard. One of the interesting things here is is how it drives. So, you know, we talk about luxury vehicles and you mentioned a few weeks ago, having driven a Lincoln uh, with I think Serenity was the word that you used to describe it. And I think Genesis uh, has done that. They've been able to nail that sort of Lincoln-like, Cadillac-like isolation that that people loved in American luxury cars from from so long ago. Um, I guess one of the downsides to that is that it does feel a little isolated on the highway, and and it feels bigger than it is just because you're so you feel like you're wrapped in so much material. Um, but the effect there is it's a really luxurious feel uh, to drive, to sit in, to be in. Um, and then the technology is great too so it's got a 14 and a half inch infotainment system uh, the screen which spans the entire top of the dash of apple carplay android auto Um, so really no complaints in the tech department Um, uh, like i said the kids have plenty of room in the back seat Uh, i would suppose that two full-size adults would be able to fit back there as well Uh, the optional third row seats are very tight so uh, probably not the first uh, choice for someone who's buying a, a luxury SUV. But if you need to use the third row, uh, they are tight for everyone but, but kids. Um, but all around, uh, a great package. I think they've nailed the luxury uh, target here, like I said. Um, the price, even though it's high, is right, especially when you compare it to you know European rivals. And even Lincoln and Cadillac uh, have become quite expensive. So all around, uh, I really enjoyed it.
0: Absolutely. I think uh, we talk about the styling a lot, but I think it's it's worthy of discussion because it really is one of those arresting cars. Like you say, people taking pictures of it. I mean, how often does that happen? Uh, kind of never, right? Even with all the interesting things that I have in my driveway, this is one that got a lot of attention. And this was a uh, pre-accident, uh, let's put it that way. So uh, there's just, just a lot to like about the GV80. I know the people at uh, Genesis have been Very excited about the fact that this was coming. Now it's here. I think it's a big hit in the marketplace. It is certainly priced right, as I say, well under the competitors from uh, the Europeans. And it's just uh, all around uh, quite a value right now, I think. I agree. So uh, that's something to look at, the uh, GV80 from uh, Genesis. uh, When you have uh, $75,000 to spend on an import uh, SUV, It's a good one to take a look at. (laughs) Now, if you want to spend a little less on another interesting import, we have the Mazda MX-5 Miata for you. Of course, the Miata has been around for more than 30 years. I I happened to be editor of Motor Trend when it was introduced, I think, back in 1989 or so. It was in our import car of the year that year. Uh, It didn't win, actually. It was my choice, but um, I didn't rule the day, despite being the editor of the magazine. We had a uh, procedure that uh, arrived at what the the vehicle was. I think the 300ZX Nissan 300ZX was actually the winner that year, uh, if memory serves, and it probably does. But now we fast forward to uh, all this many years later, and here I am driving a Mazda Miata in club version to pick up my youngest daughter at college and take her back home. We're actually going to a a graduation of my middle daughter uh, at the end of the week. So that's what's going on with us, but I had to pick her up. And I I had a little bit of, I guess, trepidation, a a little bit of nervousness going up there just because I didn't, I wasn't sure I'd have enough room to bring all the stuff that she wanted to bring with her on this trip. And that's where I got a a big surprise, uh, was that despite the fact that, It doesn't have a whole lot of trunk space. (laughs) I can put that mildly. It's, I think, under double digits in terms of cubic feet. We still got a bunch of stuff in there somehow. Driving it was uh, kind of a fascinating experience on this long trip, this 400-mile trip. It has a 181-horsepower four-cylinder engine these days. Not a ton of torque, uh, 151 pound-feet of torque, Is not a very torquey engine, I can tell you that. It's uh, tuned for horsepower as opposed to low-end torque. So you have to row through the six-speed manual transmission, which my vehicle had, and that's the one to get, I think. I mean, you can boulevard it around with the six-speed automatic, and that's okay. The club version I had had some handling features, like a front shock tower brace, a limited-slip differential, and it had uh, Bilstein shocks. So all of those only come in the club version that has manual transmission, which is interesting. You can get a club version with automatic transmission, and they figure you don't need that stuff or want that stuff. And maybe that's true because there were areas where this vehicle, uh, this particular Miata, road kind of rough, I have to admit. I was wondering if uh, a filling or two was going to come out of my teeth uh, some of the ways on, on 405 freeway. There's a particularly rough stretch, but most of the time it was just spectacularly fun. Bose audio inside. Now Apple CarPlay and Android Auto are standard for, for this year, so that is good. Wireless Apple CarPlay is available. It's at extra cost, so uh, a lot of companies aren't charging extra. For that. The Miata is a sports car, but not especially fast. Uh, zero to 60 go, comes in 5.7 seconds. And I never I never felt uh, like I had tons of power at my beck and call as I was doing this drive. I was certainly driving at the speed limit, uh, and that was uh, no problem. And then I always get the impression in the, in the cabin that this is a seven-eighth scale vehicle. It's almost big enough, and I guess it is big enough, but if it were a little bigger, I wouldn't complain about it. And I'm not six feet tall like you are, Chris. Uh, what's your take on the interior <laughs> of the Miata?
1: I, so, you know, everyone says Miata is the answer. And I agree to that. I agree with that to a point. Uh, and you're right. You know, so for a vehicle, if I want to live with a vehicle every single day, I, I want a little bit more space. But as a, I'd say, a spare car or a second car, uh, just a fun car, the Miata can't be beat. Which is why I was surprised that you mentioned having taken it to pick up your daughter, um, lack of cargo space notwithstanding. I think, you know, the, the ride quality and the size on the highway can become tiresome because everybody else is bigger than you uh, to a large degree. So um, a great car. I don't know if I would pick it for a road trip, but uh, glad that you had a good time.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I did notice, especially on the freeway, and I I noticed it to begin with, and then I I got used to it again, because I'd driven a lot of Mianas (laughs) through the years, but I was looking at vehicles around me, and vehicles like, uh, say, a Nissan Versa seemed so big, (laughs) and they're not big, you know, anything but big, but um, you're in a vehicle that, in terms of overall length, is one of the shortest vehicles, and it's also not very tall. So as you say, you're kind of in a canyon all the time you're driving it, but you quickly get used to it. And the the vehicle is so maneuverable, goes exactly where you point it. You always feel in command, cornering, uh, doing on-ramps and off-ramps, all the stuff that I was doing in the vehicle. You always feel that joy. So this was a, a difficult test for the Miata, not the Miata in its element, which is curvy mountain roads or those kinds of things. But at the same time, it uh, acquitted itself quite well uh, over time. And, you know, I quickly got used to its little bit of foibles and got used to, say, the infotainment system. Uh, This had a Bose infotainment system uh, with the the Mazda interface, which takes a little getting used to, but I I got used to it quickly. A a lot of uh, standard safety features. So just overall, uh, certainly uh, this is a second or third car for a lot of people. It's not their day-to-day driver and not particularly practical in day-to-day sense, uh, but such a fun vehicle. And uh, the fact that I could go 400 miles round trip and arrive fresh and ready to go, which I did somehow, was uh, quite interesting, I think, to me. And so uh, we have really good vehicles this time, very different vehicles in the Genesis GV80 and the, the Mazda Miata, but uh, I think certainly worthy of, of note this week
1: both are worth a look for sure.
0: Absolutely. And when we come back, we're going to be taking your listener questions, not only taking them, but I think we'll answer them too. So we'll have that for you when we come back with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nierad with you, and you're listening to America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jackie Red with you, along with co-host Chris Teagan. We're so glad you're with us. Thanks so much for being with us. It is question and answer time here on America on the Road. We love to take your listener questions, and uh, we try to give you as good an answer as we possibly can. We've been doing this for quite a while, and we know quite a bit about cars, it turns out. So. Uh, Feel free to shoot us those questions and we'll answer them on an upcoming show. Editor at drivingtoday.com. Editor at drivingtoday.com is where you send those questions. So we'd love to hear from you. And we have heard from somebody in, I think, in uh, the wonderful state of Rhode Island. Not too far from you, right? And Rhode Island, of course, is not an island. It's a state. Uh, But we've heard from folks in Rhode Island. And here's the question. I've heard that the deals and incentives on cars right now aren't nearly as good as they were six months ago. So should I wait to buy my next car or go ahead and buy it now? What's your take on that, Chris?
1: Well, yeah, some of them are and some of them aren't as good as they were six months ago. But I will say that if you need to buy a car now, don't wait. Uh, The point is that nobody has a crystal ball and anything could happen between now and even next month that Create new incentives or cause old incentives to go away or to change So if you can find a great deal go for it Especially if you have a used vehicle to sell right now is a great time to get the best price out of that possible Especially if you own it outright and can sell it either to a third party like an online vendor or an individual but if you need a vehicle there's no time like the present. Uh, you know, there's no telling what the deals will be, uh, even two weeks from now, much less, you know, a month or two from now.
0: Absolutely true. And you point out such a good item there of interest. And that is that used vehicles, thus your trade-in vehicle is worth a ton these days. Uh, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get a ton if you don't know what your vehicle is worth when you walk into the dealership to sell it or when you go to trade it in. But, uh, so learn that before you do that. But, uh, There is a run on used vehicles right now. A lot of people are buying uh, used vehicles, so uh, your vehicle is worth a ton. The incentives generally are not nearly as good as they were a year ago. Of course, we talked about sales a year ago, and they were dreadful. So it made sense that there were giant incentives then. Sales are very strong now, so manufacturers are feeling less desire to put incentives into the market. They don't really need to. Plus, they're worried about uh, inventory, and that's another reason to buy now rather than waiting. Because I think the inventory situation is going to get worse and worse and worse.
1: Yeah, as the chip shortage and, you know, the remnants of the pandemic drag on, there's still going to be some difficulties getting new product out. So, uh, you know, never, never knowing where the inventory levels are going to be soon.
0: Yes, I would say do some research, look for incentives, do some comparison shopping, uh, spend a lot of time on the internet looking at incentives, looking at what's available. A lot of times on most car sites, on most car company sites, say Chevrolet.com, for example, or Toyota.com or Nissan USA. There will be a section called incentives and deals or local, local specials or something like that. Check that out because there's a lot of, that's where you're going to find the incentives and deals and uh, see how that goes for you because uh, it might be on a vehicle that you want and you might qualify for it. And not everybody qualifies for all the advertised deals, so you should have that in mind as well. Let's go to another question here, and uh, this came from across the country from Oregon. I want to buy a compact SUV, but there are about 20 choices. Which one should I buy? Well, there's an open-ended question for you, Chris. Have at it.
1: (laughs) Have at it. Uh, Well, just like the answer is always Miata with sports cars, I think the answer with compact SUVs and crossovers is probably either going to be Toyota RAV4, or Honda CRV, especially since both are so good with both hybrid on the Honda side and the plug-in hybrid on the Toyota side. Uh, depending on your budget, you could get you could go on up the chain a little bit and get something in the luxury uh, segment. So the Acura RDX is very good; it's sporty uh, if you can get around the infotainment system, uh, which most people do after just a little bit of time. I think that's a great choice as well. Uh, But as you as you mentioned, Jack, and as the, the question stated, there are plenty of choices in the world in that segment.
0: Right. I would throw out a couple more, too. I would say the Mazda CX-5 is certainly one to look at. It is a car tester's choice, that's for sure. Not particularly off-road oriented at all, uh, but on-road driving, the CX-5 is really, really good, although it's not really as big inside as as the other vehicles I think we've mentioned here. And another one that I, I drove recently and I'm very high on, and I don't think they're really in the marketplace in any numbers yet, is the 2022 Hyundai Tucson. Just a really good vehicle. I think the Tucson was always a good vehicle, but it was so plain Jane that I think a lot of people discounted it. Now it has a kind of a a better looking suit on, uh, it's in a lot of ways all new anyway. So it's a really, really good vehicle where they have a, a hybrid variant as well. So uh, I think that's another one to look at in the compact SUV segment. That's uh, quite good.
1: Absolutely agree.
0: So that is it for listener questions uh, for this week. When we come back, we will be talking with Dan Fry, who is the engineer on the Jeep 4xe, the plug-in hybrid Jeep Wrangler. So uh, we will take a look at that when we come back and take a look at uh, what he has to say, really. I guess we'll listen to what, what he has to say more than taking a look at it, but I'm splitting hairs here. I'm an editor, forgive me. Uh, with Chris Teague, this is Jack Nierad with you right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nerad with you, and we are outside, somewhere way outside, I think, Austin, Texas, Uh, having just great fun driving the uh, Jeep 4xe which is uh, exciting and with me is the absolute expert on that his name is Dan Fry he is integration manager with Jeep Wrangler and the uh, 4xe plug-in hybrid specifically hi Jack first well thank you Uh, (laughs) thanks for joining me I appreciate it Um, describe to our listeners who might not be uh, cognizant of the 4xe Exactly what the what the plan is here. What what this vehicle is all about. Sure. So like any Wrangler, it's a freedom machine.
2: Um, top down, doors off, uh, go anywhere capability. But what we've taken uh, the that base and we've added a plug-in hybrid uh, powertrain into it, Jack. And so what that does is it allows you to drive the car 21 miles all electrically without starting the engine at all, and that covers most people's daily commutes. So what you can do is, uh, during the week, drive to work, drive around town, pick up the kids, whatever, what have you. And then on the weekends, you've still got 370 miles of range to go and have adventures. And the really great thing about it is we haven't compromised the performance of the vehicle at all. In fact, the electrification actually adds to that off-road experience
0: as well as uh, making it quite a bit faster on-road as well. Yeah, I think that's the fascinating thing about this. I mean, you might look at electrifying the Jeep as, well, you know, they decide- it's kind of a stunt in a way, you know, uh, something that's just to, uh, meant to um, display greenness and uh, environmental uh, an atmosphere. When that's not necessarily the case, right? But uh, quite the opposite is what uh, the uh, the four by E does, right? I mean, it it is a true Jeep. And at the same time, it has all these other capabilities.
2: Yeah, Jack, we don't really think it's a contradiction uh, to, to, have a, to build a green Wrangler. Because, of course, the our core audience with this product is people who really care about the earth and, and like to get out and experience it. And so we feel like it's a natural extension of the brand. Um, but at the same time, there was no question that it wouldn't be as capable as, as the rest of the Wrangler
0: lineup. Uh, because that that's how it earns the badge. Tell us how you built that capability into it. Uh, start wherever you want, but obviously that's something that had to be there, right? It had to do everything uh, that a Wrangler, uh, including going up and uh, down the Rubicon, for example, uh, would do.
2: Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, um, and, and I, I must say it wasn't me, it was us, uh, but we started with uh, you know the tried and true Wrangler platform, and in fact the, the gasoline engine in the Jeep is the two-liter four-cylinder that has been for sale in Wranglers since 2018, but on top of that, the team added uh, two high, high-voltage electric motors, uh, which allows you to drive the Jeep, uh, as I said, pure electric, both on and off-road, uh, 21 miles EPA, and, and uh, then those are powered in turn by a 17 kilowatt hour lithium-ion battery. It's a pretty large battery uh, which we've accommodated inside the cabin to protect it from underbody uh, impacts like you sometimes <laughs> yeah. see
0: off-road. Yeah, like I might have done while I was going off-road uh, just an hour or so ago. You didn't harm it at all, but Jack. I, I don't, don't think so. Well, I tried not to. Uh, I did my best, anyway. Uh, where are the electric motors position? How, how is that all configured? So the, there's, the smaller of the two motors is
2: on uh, the front of the engine, and like the, uh, like the e-torque system that we've been selling for quite some time, we've now added a higher voltage device on the front of the engine that does about the same thing. So that motor basically is responsible for replacing the starter and alternator functions of a conventional vehicle. And then back in the transmission, that's where the main drive motor is located, and then that drive motor is lo- is powerful enough to drive the vehicle at highway speeds with the engine off. And in fact, as you mentioned, uh, we were able to also to complete the entire Rubicon Trail uh, with the engine off, uh, basically underlining the 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 capability that is built into the platform uh, with things like the Rubicon's uh, locking axles and the. Uh, For low transfer case with a four to one ratio, the disconnecting sway bar, all of the really capable goodies are are here, and they're further enhanced by electrification.
0: You you noted, I think, in the presentation this morning that um, the transmission doesn't have a torque converter. Uh, there's, a, but but yet it's a step ca- uh, geared transmission. Tell us a bit about that. That it kind of fascinated me how that comes together.
2: Yeah. So because we've got not only this very capable 2-liter engine, I mean that's actually an upgrade engine on the conventional Wrangler, so we've already got a very capable engine but um, lacking the torque multiplication of a torque converter isn't a problem because we also have this powerful electric motor. And so, if you think about it, a uh, a small displacement efficient turbocharged gas engine and a uh, relatively powerful electric motor really complement each other so that when uh, when one is maybe out of its optimal operating range, uh, then the other one can fill in like, uh, for example, I don't think you felt any turbo lag whatsoever. And that's one of the benefits of this architecture. And so those two um, actuators, if you will, the engine and the motor can work together and uh, add together so we don't need the torque multiplication of the torque converter.
0: Yeah, tell our listeners uh, about the instant application of torque from the electric motors because it's a pretty cool thing and they're probably just not cognizant of that at all. Yeah, that's that's one of the huge
2: benefits of of electric motors, right, is there's no uh, waiting at all. You you don't have to spin up an engine before torque is available. It's it's just right now on-demand torque. That's something that Especially is is uh, you know gratifying off-road, but I, I'm sure you felt it on-road as well. Sort of cutting and thrusting through holes in traffic. Uh, the vehicle the vehicle drives much lighter than it is, um, and it's not that heavy to begin with. But it's uh, it, it really makes you feel like you can you can go for a gap in traffic, or uh, you've got the torque to climb all, all kinds
0: of these really challenging obstacles as well. Right, and you can apply that torque. How exactly is that controlled? You know when that electric motor contributes torque.
2: Yeah, so uh, building on the the knowledge that the company has from other plug-in hybrid vehicles, uh, there's a a, a pretty sophisticated, I I don't want to bore your listeners, but there's a sophisticated real-time optimizer routine that runs in the hybrid controls, and and that routine is deciding at any given moment how much torque should be delivered by each of the electric motors, by the engine, what gear should be selected, uh, depending on whether we're trying to uh, maybe keep the battery where it is or charge it back up or deplete it down depending on what the user has selected in the eSelect drive mode controller.
0: Right. One of the things I found fascinating is the ability to essentially save electric power for where you want to use it, right? Let's say you're going to be driving from your house in the suburbs and you're going to be driving out to a place where you then want to go off-road, you can actually... Essentially, stockpile or, or keep the electri- uh, the electric energy and use it then. T- tell us a bit about that.
2: Yeah, no, that that, you're right. It, it, it's uh, it's a useful a useful feature we call e-save. Um, yeah, the the e-save feature that you're talking about uh, basically it allows the customer to decide to save the battery until later. Now, the default behavior that the vehicle will uh, will exhibit is a little bit different. Because the the optimization routine that I mentioned earlier knows that electric-powered miles are less expensive than gas-powered miles, uh, the default behavior in the hybrid mode is to first deplete the battery all the way down and then seamlessly switch to gas engine operation. But conversely, as you, the example you gave, if a customer, for for example, was, was driving into a city or maybe they're heading out to an off-road trail and they want to save their battery for later,
0: that's what the e-save mode is best for. Yeah, I, and it is seamless, that transition, and I checked that out. I was I was watching, okay, I'm getting down, I, now I have X percent, I, now I'm... Two or 3%. Oh, it's going to shift pretty soon. I've got to pay attention to that. And I did actually, oddly enough, uh, catch it right as it's going from one to the other. That's got to be a very complicated transition that becomes seamless. Tell us a bit about that.
2: Yeah, Jack. There are uh, uh, there's a large number of really bright engineers uh, who have put their heart and souls into this product because everybody at Jeep wants not only to be good enough, not only to uh, you know um, comply with the regulations, but but this this product just needs to be bang on perfect. And uh, so yeah, the the, the company spent a. Uh, took this took this very seriously a lot of resources dedicated a lot of time not only in the calibration and, and uh, development phases but also in the validation phase uh, you know we've done over 3.2 million miles of validation on this product um, on-road off-road uh, three different continents and four seasons to
0: make sure that uh, th- this is every bit of jeep and you're really giving up n- no functionality that the Wrangler a conventional Wrangler would offer you, right? I mean, it has uh, the uh, multiple speed transfer case, uh, it has the electronics that accompany that, uh, hill descent control, uh, uh, just everything you could think of. Tell us a bit more about that.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You don't give up anything, but uh, we weren't really satisfied to not give up anything. The, the design brief here was m- not just how can we you know, make a, a Wrangler, which is also a PHEV, but the, the intent from the very beginning was how can we use electrification to make the things that people love about Wranglers that much better, that much more exciting, and, and maybe even some things that they, they wouldn't think of right away. Um, how can we exploit the technology uh, in a way that no one else has done in the marketplace yet? So uh, a good example of that
0: I was hoping you'd give me a good example of that. (laughs) I'm kind of on pins and needles to hear that. A a good example of that is, you know, um,
2: people are excited about electric off-roaders because they have uh, instantaneous torque or silent operation or very precise control. and, And that's all here. But what some people don't think of is, um, off-roading uses sort of spikes to high power levels, but by and large, it's a low power usage uh, type of operating case, and, and what that means is, with a 17 kilowatt hour battery, a pretty large lithium ion battery, you can go off-roading for three or four hours for uh, w- without starting the engine in this product.
0: Yeah, uh, pretty interesting. How do you decide, and uh, we've had this discussion on the show, my co-host and I, um, the size of the battery for a plug-in hybrid, right? I mean, there's certainly a trade-off there. There's a cost trade-off, there's a weight trade-off. Um, you want enough uh, electric power that you can uh, say X number of miles, right? Uh, if you said five miles, it probably wouldn't <laughs> mean anything to anybody. How do you decide on what is enough and what's too much? Yeah, cost, weight, packaging, all the above,
2: right? Um, obviously the, the battery is located inside the cabin on the Wrangler 4xE, um, and that's basically to, for, to help with thermal management, keeping it cool in the summer and warm in the winter, so it works very well that way, and, and also to protect it from underbody strikes. So packaging's an, another part of that, but ultimately we start from the customer, and uh, our customers tell us, or, or the data tells us that Twenty one miles is a a very meaningful distance for for someone to drive their car on a daily basis. Now, um, you know, for for a road trip, you're going to burn gasoline. But the 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 information we're getting back from the people who have pre pre pre-production units is, you know, gosh, I'm I'm going a thousand miles or maybe two thousand miles between trips to the gas station because most of my daily use is is all electric. I plug it in at home at night, I plug it in at the office, and uh, then there you go, 42 miles a day. Well, not very many people drive more than that in their daily life, so that means you've just got this other uh, gas powertrain for extra capability and long
0: trips on the weekends. Right, unless they live in Southern California like I do. Uh, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Uh, talk about, um, you should pardon the expression, the fording capability of, uh, the Wrangler 4x4. E.
2: No, you pronounced it very well. It's, it's a minefield. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's a Wrangler, right? Wranglers go through 30 inches of water, and so does this one. And uh, in fact, doors on or doors off. If you're willing to get your boots wet, uh, the water inside the cabin won't won't damage any of the high voltage electrics or or the low voltage for that matter. Yeah, which is good news.
0: You know, I was amazed. We just uh, on the course. You probably seen the course. Uh, <laughs> kind of drove down a river <laughs> for uh, some, uh, some yards and so not, just, not just wading through a puddle and coming out on the other side. I mean, this off-road is very different than off-road uh, courses I've, I've driven with other manufacturers. Uh, do you have the, you have we, well, yeah, you? We, yeah. Don't, we don't
2: have very much time with you uh, on these events, so we try to flex our muscles right up front
0: tell our our listeners I guess this is available in the marketplace now what kind of premium is this priced versus uh, the Wrangler
2: yeah so so there is a there is an MSR pre MSRP premium over the conventional Wrangler, but that's significantly defrayed by uh federal, state and local tax incentives that's good point, yes. including uh federal 77500 $7,500 um, tax incentive that applies to this vehicle in the United States. So, um, w- w- we think that combined with the fact that the residual values on this model are very strong, not only the Wrangler, which of course has historically been one of the highest residual nameplates in the market, but uh, also the 4 by E variant of the Wrangler has, um, I- in fact, exceeded our expectations in terms of residual value, so that means lease rates are very attractive as well. Um, obviously, uh, the dealer's the place to go for all of that information, but uh, we think that people are going to be pleasantly surprised, not only with the product's performance, but
0: also with the transactions they're able to, to execute. Yeah. And there's a limited number Number uh, of vehicles you can sell with that um, federal tax credit, you're probably not bumping into it. But you have other plug-in hybrids in addition to the to the Wrangler uh, that I guess should Im- impel people. I think to to buy sooner rather than later, right? And and get that uh, added 7,500 bucks.
2: Well, that's true. Yeah, at 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 this company, we do have plenty more units to sell before that tax credit. Uh, no longer applies but I don't think that's the best reason to go out and, and get your yourself a, a Wrangler 4 by I think really the fact that it takes everything that everybody has loved for many years about the Wrangler and and adds on to that with even more capability and even more unique use cases and also makes itself available to people who maybe weren't considering jeep before because they're they're uh, really concerned with this this
0: electrification yeah I, I'm kind of fascinated by it that. I mean, certainly the the uh, the typical Jeep person, right, is an outdoors person, cares about the environment, I've got to believe. I think that's in the ethos. At the same time, they're using an internal combustion engine vehicle, uh, you know, across the wilderness. Uh, so some might complain about that. Some people are complaining about everything these days. Uh, but this is probably a new buyer, right? I mean, this is an incremental buyer to other Jeep buyers. Tell me about Appealing to that kind of buyer, yeah, I, I
2: think we're finding we're finding that the the Jeep faithful love the product, but we're meeting a lot of new people who weren't previously in the showroom, and and that's of course super exciting. You know, the the Wrangler lineup really has expanded so that it's got something for just about any taste. Everything from the uh, the new Wrangler 392, which uh, is obviously also super fun to drive for for similar and also different reasons. Um, You know, all of the the gas and diesel powertrain options that we've been offering for for some time. And then of course now uh, adding the Wrangler 4xE, I, I, I think yeah, I think we expand the appeal of a product that a lot of people already knew and loved, and, and now we're just uh, showing it to even more folks out there in the world.
0: Is there anything that a, a prospective buyer of the, uh, the Wrangler 4Bi needs to know that we haven't told them about?
2: I think what's important is just to, to, to understand how uh, the how Jeep has been steadfast with making it a Wrangler first. There's no compromise here. You can still have your top-down, your doors off, you can still go places that nobody else can go, but now you can get 21 miles all-electric range. Now you can get 375 horsepower, 470 foot-pounds of torque, 49 MPGe. These are um, really incredible numbers uh, in this segment and they add even more onto what is already one of the most loved nameplates in the marketplace. And uh, I, I think beyond that, it's, it's just something you have to experience.
0: Absolutely. Well, you should experience it. And I'm, I hope they can experience it the way I have experienced it here outside Austin, Texas. Uh, Dan Fry, thanks so much for talking to us. We really do appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jack. I enjoyed it yeah. as well. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. That was our interview with Dan Fry, he's the engineer on the Jeep Wrangler 4xE. Really interesting vehicle, Uh, amazing that they kept all the capabilities of the Wrangler, uh, but added electrification, added that ability to drive on electric only, and uh, those electric motors really do help you off-road, as you might not guess that they would, so uh, interesting to talk to him about that, and it's always interesting to speak with our inimitable Uh, undeniable, just wonderful co-host, Chris Teague. Thanks so much for being with us, Chris. We appreciate your insights every week.
1: Jack, thanks so much for having me. And I'll say thank you to everyone for listening. If you liked what you heard, please go ahead and like like us wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review that'll help us continue to grow and uh, bring more people along for
0: the ride. We'd love to have people join us for the ride. We're so glad you're with us for the ride. Uh, You're why we do what we do. I have a book out there called The GR Factor, Unleashing the Undeniable Power of the Golden Rule that you might want to take a look at. It is uh, available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, a bunch of independent bookstores across the country. And, of course, uh, support your local businesses. Uh, They would love to have that support, and uh, we'd love to support them. Our, Our thanks, again, to Chris Teague and also to Mercury Insurance for sponsoring the program. And most of all, to you for being with us. We hope you join us again right here next week for another edition of America on the Road. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com.